With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. The Leslie Marshall Show. The only true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. on this Friday. Happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Over 100 degrees today. And if you see me look over this way, uh, I am babysitting the puppy. My daughter is at culinary camp and my son is uh, at a play date uh, with a friend. They're riding scooters with their masks six feet apart. And my daughter is in um, a cooking class where they each have their own little uh, table to uh, prepare food six feet apart with their masks. It gets them out of the house, gives mommy a little bit of sanity. <laughs> so I keep looking out because I worry because the dog's coming in and out of my uh, my office. What you see behind you is fake. I wish this were my office. That's pretty cool looking, isn't it? We thought we're going to be uh, – that's what we'll do, Marky Mark. Every week we'll change up the background. What do you think? Surprise our uh, – are, are people watching? Sure, people why not? Watching for fun, yeah. Live, Facebook Live, and also via Twitter, uh, Periscope, um, because my Fox background is it's just the same background. It's a real background. You know, plant some books, uh, a wall of painting. You know, that's it. Anyway, uh, we have a great show in store for you today. We have uh, Dr. Robert Shapiro is in the house. Um, he uh, worked in the Clinton administration. He's an economic uh, guru, and we need an economic guru in these uncertain economic times. We'll be talking to him a little bit later. Uh, and I'm sorry that I didn't start the show a little bit earlier. Um, you know, Puppy was howling, to be honest. So we decided just to sh- start the show on time because normally I like to chat with you uh, off the air uh, and have it be a little bit more personal. So my apologies um, for that. But right now, let's uh, not miss another moment and let's kick it and check what's ripped from the headline. Well, <clears throat> as President Trump ramps up his unfounded attacks on mail balloting as being susceptible to widespread fraud, isn't it interesting? We can mail our tax returns. <laughs> we can mail our tax payments, um, but we can't uh, mail in our, our ballots. And, and there are a lot of people out there um, even his attorney, who you know voted by mail in the state of Colorado, 
And uh, people don't like when the truth is brought up. But anyway, uh, the president ramping up his unfounded attacks on mail balloting as being susceptible to widespread fraud. Postal employees and union officials say the changes actually implemented by Trump fundraiser turned postmaster general Louis DeJoy are actually contributing to a growing perception that mail delays are the result of a political effort to undermine absentee voting. This backlog comes as the president, who is now trailing and has been for weeks, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden in the polls, but don't rest easy, we did in 2016 and we lost. You gotta vote. Ignore the polls. Even if it looks like Biden's got it, it's a shoe in That's what we thought with Hillary, and she lost. You gotta vote this November 2020. Um, But anyway, uh, the efforts have been escalated to cast doubts about the integrity of the vote in November, which is expected to yield record numbers of mail-in ballots because of the coronavirus pandemic. A lot of people out there uh, don't want to be in crowds. People out there who are older or have children at home and don't have child care or, you know, are susceptible and have an underlying health condition don't want to go out and risk it, nor should they. Well, yesterday, Trump floated the idea of delaying the November 3rd general election, a notion widely condemned by both Democrats and Republicans alike. He's repeatedly gone after the Postal Service, recently suggesting that the agency cannot be trusted to deliver ballots. Um, And by the way, the president, thankfully, doesn't have the power to delay the election. Only Congress does, and the House is Democratic control. Uh, DeJoy is a North Carolina logistics executive, and he donated more than $2 million to the GOP political committees. And that's why he's in his position, right? Let's be honest. Uh, Over the past four years, he approved changes that took effect July 13th that the agency said were aimed at cutting costs for the debt-laden mail service. They included prohibiting overtime pay, shutting down sorting machines early, and requiring letter carriers to leave behind mail when necessary to avoid extra trips or late delivery on routes. Now, in a normal world, maybe some of those things might be a good idea. I don't think they're a good idea ever, but not certainly during during a pandemic. Now, these new policies have resulted in at least a two-day delay in scattered parts of the nation, even for express mail. And that's according to multiple postal workers and union leaders. And by the way, I'm fine with the delays because I get it. There's a pandemic. These are essential workers where there shouldn't be delays for stupid ideas from upper management, the guy at the top and mismanagement. Letter carriers are manually sorting more mail, adding to the delivery time, because more of us are communicating in other ways, including snail mail. And bins of mail ready for delivery are sitting in post offices because of those scheduling and route changes. And without the ability to work overtime, well, workers say the logjam is worsening without an end in sight. Because remember, normally they would stay late and get that mail on the truck which got it to you and me on time. Can't do that because they're not allowed the overtime. It's all about cost-cutting measures, right? And those cost-cutting measures always, we learned from Reaganomics 101, you know, it's a trickle-down effect, right? It's always going to be a trickle-down effect. And who does it trickle down to? We, the consumer. As states look to dramatically expand the use of mail-in ballots this fall, postal workers across the country said the changes could lead to chaos in November. Uh, Lori Cash, who's president of the American Postal Workers Union, the APWU, uh, the local 183 in Western New York, said, quote, I'm actually terrified to see election season under the new procedure. And in a meeting yesterday with DeJoy, the head of one of the nation's largest postal workers union said he shared the deep concerns of postal workers that the new procedures are causing mounting backlogs that could affect the election. But if a guy gave millions to the GOP, maybe he wants to 
have a backlog that could affect the election. Just saying. He said, quote, I vehemently weighed in that this is wrong. This was Mark Diamondstein, president of the APWU. They represent more than 200,000 postal employees and retirees in the Postal Workers Union. He said further, quote, it's wrong for the people of the country. It's wrong for the public postal service. It drives away business and revenue. And it's wrong for the workers. I agree 100%. Diamondstein and DeJoy, said DeJoy told him that he is committed to mail voting and providing full assistance to states as they run their elections. Kind of hard, right? Who's your loyalty to? That party you gave money to and that president you probably kissed the butt butt of? Or your job, those workers and the consumers um, that you uh, facilitate with your services? Quote, I plan and the people of the country plan to hold him to his word, the union leader said. And you know when it's a union, they will do that. Voters and postal workers have reported scattered problems across the country in recent days, including in those key battleground states, Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania. And that does raise concerns among residents whether their states are intentionally being targeted, possibly because of their importance in the presidential elections and in the Senate elections, because the Senate is definitely up for grabs and uh, the Republicans are losing more day by day, according to the polls, which you can't believe got a vote November in Michigan, which is gearing up for its August 4th primary election. Administrators said that they fielded complaints from voters who have not yet received their ballots as of this week. Election clerks are advising voters to drop off their ballot Tuesday rather than sending it back via mail out of fear that ballots will not be turned in in time to be counted. Phil Kearns is the city clerk of Frankenmuth, or Frankenmuth. I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. How do you say that? Frankenmuth uh, in the central part of Michigan. Y'all from that central part of Michigan got to tell me how to say that. Quote, I don't think it's a widespread issue, but anytime we get mail delayed, especially first class or not delivered at all, it becomes a concern. The upheaval inside the post office has the Postal Service has sparked condemnation from top Democrats. Yesterday, at a service memorializing the late Congressman John Lewis, former President Barack Obama decried, quote, those in power who were doing their darndest to discourage people from voting, even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election that's going to be dependent on mail-in ballots so people don't get sick. And four Senate Democrats wrote to DeJoy yesterday, demanding information about the new procedures because they called them questionable, I would agree. And and they said, this is uh, 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 the minority leader, Chuck, Sh- Chuck Schumer, Senator P- Gary Peters from Michigan, Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, and Senator Thomas Carper from Delaware, quote, your failure to provide Congress with relevant information about these recent changes or to clarify to postal employees what changes you have directed as postmaster general, general undermines public trust and only increases concerns that service compromises will grow in advance of the election and peak mail volume in November. That's the first portion of Ripped from the headlines. When we come back, I will share more with you, more Ripped, and then we'll be getting to our guest later. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. Good to have you with us today on the only true democracy and talk. Whether you're listening on the radio, online, later than we're actually live when we're live right now on a podcast or watching us on Twitter's uh, Periscope, uh, on YouTube Live or Facebook Live. Glad to have you all with us on this Friday. Be safe, be smart, social distance, and wear your mask. We'll be back And we're back to the 
Actually, welcome, welcome back, all of you listening and watching. Glad to have you with us on this Friday. Very hot Friday here. It's going to be triple digits throughout most of Southern California. Um, uh, maybe not on the beaches, uh, you know, at the coast, uh, places I plan to escape to as many weekends as possible this August. I got some points I can use. Thank you, Marriott Hotels. Uh, anyway, continuing on with what's ripped uh, from the headline. Take a listen as President Obama yesterday delivering a eulogy for the late Congressman uh, John Lewis and voting rights leader as well, Congressman John Lewis. He talked about how Lewis devoted his time on earth to fighting the very attacks on democracy that we're seeing circulate right now. He knew from his own life that progress is fragile, that we have to be vigilant against the darker currents of this country's history. George Wallace may be gone. But we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. We may no longer have to guess the number of jelly beans in a jar in order to cast a ballot. But even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and students with restrictive ID laws and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision, even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election that's going to be dependent on mail-in ballots so people don't get sick. Now, I know this is a celebration of John's life. There are some who might say we shouldn't dwell on such things. But that's why I'm talking about it. John Lewis devoted his time on this earth fighting the very attacks on democracy and what's best in America that we're, we're seeing circulate right now. Too many of our citizens believe their vote won't make a difference or they buy into the cynicism that, by the way, is the central strategy of voter suppression to make you discouraged, to stop believing in your own power. So we're also going to have to remember what John said. If you don't do everything you can do to change things, then they will remain the same. On Inauguration Day in 2008, 2009, um, he was one of the first people I greeted and hugged on that stand. And I told him, this is your day, too. He was a good and kind and gentle man. And he believed in us, even when we don't believe in ourselves. Very well said by former President Barack Obama eulogizing former congressmen and civil rights 
rock star, uh, John Lewis. Let's hear from another. Members of Jared Kushner's coronavirus task force. It, I, 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 I don't laugh when I say that because coronavirus isn't funny. But, but it's sad that Jared Kushner is on the coronavirus task force. No experience with a pandemic, no experience with science, no experience with medicine. He's a realtor who's married to the president's daughter. I mean, I'm hoping that in November 2020, we'll elect Joe Biden and the nepotism will stop. I really hope. Uh, Members of Jared Kushner's coronavirus task force considered a national scale testing plan early in the U.S.'s coronavirus outbreak. However, according to a new report that came out in Vanity Fair, the plan never came to be partly because the task force thought it would be better politically to hold off. In other words, they cared about votes more than your lives or your family's lives or your grandmother's life. The logic, a source told uh, Vanity Fair, was that the virus would hit Democratic voting areas hardest and that the damage could be blamed on governors instead. And notice they tried to do that, right? They tried to do that with New York, Andrew Cuomo. But then New York isn't peaking now. Texas is. Florida is. And yes, California is. Because COVID is not political. COVID's a virus that doesn't discriminate based on your politics or or, or anything else, quite frankly. Um, and in March and early April, Kushner, a senior White House advisor, led a task force parallel to the White House's official efforts to devise a plan to accelerate coronavirus testing and supply chains nationwide. He obviously failed. Ultimately, that was abandoned. And President Trump shifted much of the responsibility for controlling outbreaks to individual states. So then it could say, hey, you know, not my fault, right? A public health expert who was in regular contact with Kushner's team told Vanity Fair's Catherine Eben that the political reasoning may have influenced the decision. Quote, the political folks believed that because it was going to be relegated to Democratic states that they could blame those governors and that would be an effective political strategy. Well, look who's blaming governors in, in, in Texas and, and uh, Florida now. Voters. And November might be shocking for some. The expert also said the final call would have been Kushner's quote. It was very clear that Jared was ultimately the decision maker as to what plan was going to come out. Hey, look, folks, is this new? A rich white man who's untouchable making decisions that affect you, me, people of color, poorer people that he doesn't know and doesn't care about because it doesn't concern him. It's not in his circle. You know what I'm saying? When the team was working, New York was the epicenter of the U.S.'s coronavirus outbreak with more than 300 cases by early April. And it's not the first time the Trump administration has been accused of using political reasons in response to this pandemic. Let's rip another. A group of teachers in Iowa, I saw this yesterday, have sent their own mock obituaries to their governors in hopes that she'll revisit plans for reopening schools. Seventh grade teacher Carrie Finley of Iowa City told Good Morning America, quote, I'm very scared. Are we going to wear scrubs? Are they going to amend the dress code? If we're going to do this, we're going to have to do this the way the hospitals did. We need training. We can't just say, "Okay, go back. Now, Finley is one of several educators who wrote their obituaries after art teacher Jeremy Dumkrieger shared his own obit with the local news blog, Iowa Starting Line. In the article, Dumkrieger calls on teachers to email their obits to the office of Governor Kimberly Reynolds. Uh, And Finley said, I think that we were trying to do is humanize us in her mind, making her see us as people. 
In Iowa, there have been at least 42,928 confirmed cases of COVID-19. New daily cases reached 232 this week. That may not sound high, but it's a much smaller state than California, where I am. Some schools, like where Dumb Creek or teachers, plan to reopen in late August with specific dates varying from school to school. But the issue is that the governor has issued no guidance. And that means every district in Iowa is going to have completely different plans. Some are going to wear masks, some aren't. And uh, July 24th, there was a press conference in and, and, and Van Meter, Ohio, in Iowa. And Governor Reynolds said schools might prioritize in-person learning. Half of online learning could be implemented and school districts could request temporary exemptions. Educators have been protesting and hope that the governor will give local school leaders control in determining the safest return to learn plans. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines. Coming up, we'll talk with today's guest, Dr. Robert Shapiro. Stick around. If you know the name, he was Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs during the Clinton administration. We'll be back with him and with you right after this. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Marshall, welcome, welcome back. And we welcome back somebody who's a friend of mine personally and uh, professionally. I have the greatest admiration and respect for him personally as well. And he's a great friend of the show. He educates us a lot. So listen up because he's going to teach us today. Dr. Robert Shapiro, no, no pressure. Dr. Robert Shapiro, <laughs> chairman of Sonicon, an economic advisory firm and a senior fellow of the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University, is an internationally known economist. He's advised, among others, President Bill Clinton, Vice President Al Gore, Jr., British Prime Minister's Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, and then U.S. Senators Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. He was Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. Always a pleasure to have with us, Dr. Robert Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro, thank you for taking the time today to be with us, sir. Good to have you. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure, Leslie. Good. Um, we're hearing a lot about stimulus. We're hearing about negotiations. And um, the $600 unemployment benefits are set to expire. Uh, people are going to be able to be evicted. Um, you know, some people's unemployment is going to start to run out at the end of the summer. People are scared. And uh, this is all triggered by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, some would say triggering the sharpest economic contraction in American uh, modern uh, or modern American history. The Commerce Department even reported that uh, the GDP, which is the broadest measure of economic activity, shrank at an annual rate of 32.9 percent in the second quarter. Um, re restaurants, retailers closed their doors. People were desperate to slow the spread of this virus. It has killed more than 150,000 people and killed many jobs and companies in the process. So first, let me ask you, do you agree with the Commerce Depart Department's report stating that this is the sharpest economic contraction in modern American history? Well, it is uh, certainly in since 1950. 19 uh, right after World War II, we had a very peculiar situation where suddenly all the defense spending went away and the economy GDP contracted very sharply. But the fact is that was a very different kind of contraction from this. That was just, well, we're not spending all this money killing people and getting killed. We're going to use it to produce things that are good for the economy. Um, it is worse than 1932. Um, it's comparable to 1931. 
this is a seismic event. This is something that no living economist has ever seen. Um, this is three times worse than the worst point at in the Great Recession. Uh, triple that. And you get what we've got today. And keep this in mind. You know, it contracted at a 33% annual rate. It actually produced, we produced in April, May, and June, about 9% less than we had produced in April, May, and June of 2019. That's okay. taking out the annual rate. That's enormous. <laughs> That's, again, enormous. Uh, it took the entire Great Recession to lose 8% of GDP. And that was over 15 months. We did this in three months. So we're, near, we're nearly four times the worst quarter during the Great Depression. At the Great Recession of recession, 2008, me. 2009, yes. And then keep this in mind, Leslie. That happened with $2.5 trillion of stimulus. Hmm. This was, now imagine what happens if you take that stimulus away. If you take that, if you reduce, we had about $3 trillion in stimulus. The Republicans want to cut it to, and the White House, to $1 billion. That is taking $2 trillion in effect out of the base of the economy. If you do that, instead of beginning to do better in the third quarter than we did in the second quarter, though we will still be far below what we were in the first quarter, we will fall further. It will be a real catastrophe. Are, that, will house, be, that will be a genuine depression-like conditions if they do that. And I don't think any of them really fully understand this. But, well, because, yeah, they're politicians, most of them are not economists and should be consulting people like you who could advise them. Uh, I was shocked that the Senate adjourned for the weekend when at midnight, the unemployment benefit that has kept millions of Americans afloat amid this worst economic crisis in decades, like no economist has seen uh, who's alive today, uh, it, it expires at midnight. Weekly jobless claims continue to rise. Um, economic forecasters out there are warning of another slowdown. You're talking about much bigger than a slowdown. Um, so, so let's address certain things. The Republicans out there are saying the $600 additional benefit to unemployment encourages people not to go back to work and they want to reduce that. Mm -hmm. I would like you to speak to that. I could see you laughing. I'd like you to speak to that. Well, people want to work, don't they? People want to, you don't want to just sit home and collect money from the government. Mostly. This, this is total nonsense. I mean, first of all, the only, it's a fairly small, the, the only people who the $600 additional payment makes better off than they were before are minimum wage workers. Correct. Um, everybody else um, is still worse off. Without that $600 additional payment, the average unemployment benefit is equal to 45% of your former paycheck. So everybody who's unemployed would be told, well, you've got to live for the next six months while this economy is 
is to is totally on its back with half as much money, less than half as much money as you had right. in January or February. And also a lot, of, a lot of minimum wage workers are the essential workers who are still working. Are. Of course they are. This is, um, you know, what they're saying is um, it's okay with us if 20 to 25 million more households, not people, but households are pushed into poverty. That's what they're saying. Um, they are pushing, it would push hardworking families in this country into destitution. Um, this is not what a civilized country does. It also makes absolutely no economic sense. You, again, this $600 benefit is spent. It prevented the economy from contracting instead of a 32.9% annual rate at a 40 or 45% annual rate. That's what happens without it. And that's what will happen again if they eliminate it. Um, it is not only heartless, although, of course, this is the same administration that, you know, tore babies and toddlers from their mothers and put them in cages. Um, so this is not a very humane administration. But it's not only in, in, inhumane, it is insane economic policy. Just insane economic policy. You, you, you want to cause Shapiro, you had mentioned this is not uh, perhaps what a sane society does or country does. Can you give us some examples, if you, you, you happen to know them, I assume you do, because I've heard of some in other countries where, they're, they're, you know, we talk about stimulus checks and they stop. We talk about, you know, 1200 a month or 1500 a month and then this much for that person. And if you have this many kids. But there are some other countries that are just saying, OK, you're getting this until further notice, Correct. until we get on the other side of this. And Correct. of course, there are people who are capitalist and look at uh, socialist, um, you know, nations and, and think, oh, my God, how could you do something like that? But how can they do something like that? And is there merit to doing something like that? And should the United States look to some of these countries to do something like that as a model? Well, that's exactly what I proposed in a piece a week ago, that we send out the household checks every six weeks, that we maintain the additional unemployment benefit, that we have another round of the payroll supports. And the reason for this is twofold, not only to ensure that tens of millions of people aren't pushed into poverty, but in order to keep the economy afloat. You know, these capitalists who say it's socialism, it's the only way to save this capitalist economy um, is to do this. Uh, now, Scandinavia has done it. Interestingly enough, you know, when you look at the European Union, the European Union had, has done much better with the coronavirus than we did. Um, and in much of Europe, it's already largely open again. Um, however, hold that thought, Doctor. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back to you. 
Okay. Um, don't go away. We'll be back with Dr. Robert Shapiro more. We're talking about the economy, what the United States is doing, what it isn't doing, what it should be doing, and why. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back in a moment. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Leslie Marshall, welcome or welcome back. Good to have you with us. Our guest, uh, Dr. Robert Shapiro, you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Shapiro, R-O-B-S-H-A-P-I-R-O. And his website is www.sonicon.com, S-O-N-E-C-O-N.com. Dr. Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicom, economic advisory firm. He's also a senior fellow at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown, and he was under Secretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. Dr. Shapiro, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, We were talking about the dire economic news, the potential for a significant long-term damage uh, uh, the the very uh, the, you know real deadline that we face at midnight tonight. Um, nothing seems to have jarred loose the talks over the next coronavirus relief package. Um, lawmakers and the Trump administration, people involved in the talks, they say they're no closer to a broad deal than they were at the start of the week. Um, so where do things stand right now, and and what what do they need to do, our lawmakers, and how how quickly? Well, they need to do it as quickly as possible. You know, it's really the administration and the the response from the administration and from the Republicans in Congress is pretty remarkable because um, the Democrats passed the second stimulus bill two months ago. It's been sitting there. They've had two months to think about how they should respond and they didn't. They didn't bother. Um, it's um, it's a certain kind of contempt for the American people, implicit in that. Uh, and so now they're scrambling, and they're scrambling in a way that you know the problem right now is that the White House and the Senate Republicans don't agree, and they have to agree before they can negotiate with the Democrats. Um, I did want to bring up one other point, Leslie, and that is, you know, while we saw this, the the um, people's wages and salaries fall by about 10 percent. That is all the income paid out in wages and salaries, which corresponds to the actual contraction in the economy. Um, uh, the markets. Investors have done very well. Yes, this is very. This is quite remarkable. You know, the market initially was really smart. The S and P five hundred, um, as it became clear what was going to happen, um, it lost thirty four percent of its value. Um, and we've just said GDP is was contracting at a thirty three percent annual rate. Right. So the market got it. Pretty well. Now, over the over the subsequent months, the economy has in fact contracted by this enormous amount, and yet today 
the S&P 500 is 3% higher than it was in its pre-COVID record high. That what? is, it made up all that, that 34% drop and gained 3%. And there's a similar thing happening that's happened not only in the corporate bond market, not only corporate bonds for what we call AAA bonds, that is a very financially sound companies, but also what we call junk bonds. Junk bonds are bonds that are issued by companies that were already in trouble before this began. And, you know, the junk bond market lost a third. And now it's nearly back to its record high. So investors, the government has been very effective in protecting investors. Mm. And keep in mind that nine, that the top 10% of the country um, own 91% of all stocks and bonds. Um, so they have protected, and they've done it through policy, uh, mainly through Federal Reserve policy, which has pushed enormous amounts of credit at no cost to any borrower into the market, which may in, into the banking system, which makes its way into the stock market and the bond market. The Fed has explicitly said that for the first time, it's buying corporate bonds, which is to say it is guaranteeing the stability of the corporate bond market. Now, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing in the sense that the last thing we want on top of this is a financial crisis. What I'm saying is, how come investors have been totally protected mm -hmm. and everybody else is left on their own? Very, very perfect example of truly in real life, the rich getting richer. Absolutely. While you have rich people saying, we're going to take 600 a week and right. make it two. Right. And, and, and people don't understand. I mean, seriously, that's $1,600 a month right. for some people out there that may have worked two or three jobs and one of them is essential. Um, you know, this is and this is rich, largely white people who have the luxury of working from their home and home office and their money just keeps making more. And I, I mean, it, my whole thing is how dare they. Right. How dare these rich politicians slash these benefits right now when you don't even have a plan for this virus? You don't have a plan for this pandemic. Well, I'll tell you why. Um, from their point of view. Um, no matter what happens, the Fed is going to protect their wealth. The value of all their stocks and bonds is going to be protected. The more we help everybody else in the country, the more we will have to raise in revenues when this is over. We're going to raise taxes when this is over on corporations and high-income people. They know that. <laughs> They see the writing on the wall with respect to the likely outcome of this election. And they know that as a matter of responsibility, we have to contract the deficit uh, without contracting while still supporting people's health care and education and climate, et cetera. The only way to do that is 
uh, to raise more revenues. And as Willie Sutton said, when they said, asked him, why do you rob banks? He said, well, that's where the money is kept. Well, it's the same thing here. And, you know, we have been repeatedly cutting the taxes of corporations and high income people steadily now for several, actually for two generations, actually. And we know that they know that this will, they're going to have to pay more in 2022 and 2023. So the less we spend now, they figure the less their taxes will have to go up. So it is greed brought to the point of sociopathy. Wow. Um, that is a total indifference to what happens to anyone else. That's what a sociopath is. Um, well, this yeah, they, and they also say, ah, they'll reach a deal at some point. The benefits will be retroactive. Who cares if people starve to death in the interim? Doesn't affect me, right? Right. And and we know the Republican position, which is whatever additional benefit there is must be substantially smaller than the one today. So even if they don't zero it out, they're going to cut it. My guess is their position in the end will be, we'll cut it in half. And I think Nancy Pelosi will say no. Right. Um, and But it's not just the unemployment. We must have these checks to households earning less than $75,000. And some people haven't even received the checks in the first go round. Yes. That's correct. Right. So it's well, not just it's not just legislating, it's implementing that's the problem as well. Right. Well, this is an administration that has contempt for government, and so it has no interest in having government operate effectively. Um, and there's been no clearer example of that than their response to the pandemic. Uh, and it amazes me because politically, you're gonna lose politically. Uh, come November, not just Trump, but Republicans in, in House and Senate seats, if you take money away from people that are hurting, they're going to remember that in November. I know. It's, it's, that's why, uh, you know, we have this very interesting phenomenon of both a president and his political party acting consistently in ways that injure them politically. Yep. And I the only explanation that I've heard that makes any sense is one, they are beholden to their donors, who to their big donors. Um, and two, that the Republicans, you know, look, I think that Mary Trump can explain why Donald Trump behaves this way. He's, he's an imbalanced personality. Um, but, the, but the rest of the Republican Party, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, <laughs> knows, you know, knows what's up politically. He understands this. Um, but he, they, they are all afraid that if they are denounced by, if, if he really took a strong stand against Trump and Trump denounced him, um, that all the Trump, that many of the Trump Republicans in Kentucky won't vote for him in November. 
So he's between a rock and a hard place. Absolutely. A pleasure to have you with us, Doctor. Dr. Robert Shapiro, Chairman of Sonicon, and like I said, Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. Please go to the website, sonicon.com, S-O-N-E-C-O-N. And on Twitter, follow Dr. Shapiro at Rob Shapiro, R-O-B-S-H-A-P-I-R-O. Love you, Doctor. I'm Love Leslie you Marshall. Too. And thank Stay you. Stay safe and well. Yeah, you too. Have a safe and healthy weekend, everyone. If you've been in close contact with someone who tests positive for COVID-19, you could get a call from your local health department. To protect us all, answer the call. Learn more at michigan.gov slash contain COVID. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and four plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.